0: My ear, so it's waking me up. It's good to be here. Uh, uh, one apology um, uh, because my eyesight is uh, getting worse and worse, um, I can't read the, the Bible passage from the Bible that we've got in front of us. So, what I normally do is now I, I, I print out the Bible passage in a big font so I know exactly where I'm up to. Um, I just realized. The version that I printed this morning is actually slightly different to the one that you've got. I mean, this is a... I think what I did was uh, I downloaded 2011 version of New International Version, and I think the one that you've got is a much older one. So when I read out this passage, it'll be slightly different to what you've got, but not too different. So um, uh, that's the reason. Uh, good to be here um, I know there are some people here that I have not met personally. Uh, my apologies. I'm sorry that I, uh, although I'm the director of the parish, um, I don't get to come here very often. Uh, I normally spend a lot of time down this, the, the, the other end of the, the parish. So my apology. and uh, But it's great. It gives me an opportunity to... Uh, uh, come and say hello to you and uh, introduce myself, um, especially to those that I have not met before. So I'm really, really looking forward to uh, saying hello to you after the service. Uh, although I need to uh, duck off because uh, I now, <clears throat> this morning, I need to uh, lead the service as well as preach. So I can't stay here for too long, but whatever time that God gives me, I'd love to, uh, to, to spend time with you and, and talk to you. So do please come and talk to me and uh, I'll uh, give me an opportunity to say hello to you. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And we're going to have a look at this passage together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness, your grace, your love that you so generously lavished upon us in our Lord Jesus. We thank you that your spirit opened our eyes, that we might see the glory of him. Thank you for enabling us to listen to him carefully and to follow him and trust him. So, Father, as we um, turn to your word this morning, we earnestly pray that you will enable us to listen carefully, to evaluate what is being said, and understand your will for our life, so that we might please you in every way. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's it going to be like to be part of God's kingdom in which Jesus rules? What's heaven going to be like? Uh, Have you thought too much about what the afterlife is going to be like? Um, I I thought about this throughout the week, especially because um, I had my father's funeral uh, a week and a half ago, and uh, ever since then it's been playing on my mind. What does the Bible say about our life in heaven? I think most people would say heaven is a little bit like the extension of everything that is good uh, in this world. And so, uh, you know, some people say things like, heaven is going to be like hitting six off Courtney Ambrose for the rest of your life. For those of you who uh, understand cricket, I love cricket. Or people say it's a little bit like um, uh, going fishing and catching um, a big fish every time you cast the, the the fishing rod. Or it's a little bit like, uh, I don't know, you think about all the good things that you enjoy in life and that's going to be like what heaven's going to be like. You're doing all the things that you love doing, the things that you enjoy the most all the time for the rest of your eternity. So it's kind of an extension of what the world offers to us. I think what we end up doing is trivialising the kingdom of God. Uh, Although there are lots of images and ideas that the Bible presents to us when it speaks about the kingdom of God, but I think Indian, ultimately, uh, it's a little bit difficult to pin it down. And so we speculate and uh, we we sort of end up making our own conclusions about what kingdom of God is, is going to be like. When we come to a a, a verse like verse 29, have a look at your Bible and look at verse 29. And uh, Jesus says, And everyone who left houses or brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And so we think, well, heaven is going to be like winning a lotto you know you're just gonna have lots of money and you're just gonna have a big houses and you're just gonna be driving a fancy car and fantastic I really really look forward to going there but I think deep down in the secrets of our own hearts we say well you know some of us already enjoy these good things and so I don't know if heaven's going to be all that good But what is Jesus doing here? He wants to teach us about God's kingdom and he's about to accomplish that plan which God set forth before the creation of the world and he's about to to accomplish this by going to Jerusalem and being nailed to the cross. But he has so much to say. He wants almost like to... um, realign our way of thinking about God's kingdom uh, as he set his face towards Jerusalem. Now, um, I don't know if you realise this, but um, uh, since chapter 18, uh, why, don't, why don't you have a look at chapter 18, verse 1. Um, you know whether the disciples came and they, all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, threw a question uh, at Jesus. He said, Teacher, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven? Who is highly regarded? Who is valuable member in God's kingdom? So chapter 8 in verse 1 is almost like a kind of a, a topical sentence uh, for the, the following so many chapters all the way up to chapter 23 I say. Why? Because from chapter 18 every part in, in, each, in each chapter Jesus is reiterating this main point again and again and again and he says the first will, be, will become last and the last will become first. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you need to be like a servant. Um, Jesus calls his followers little ones. And so there are all these ideas, uh, littered in this in in this part of the Bible, and I think what Jesus is doing is he's is trying to challenge us he's trying to reshape our way of thinking so that we'll have a proper understanding of what it's what it means to be part of god 's kingdom and so what does he do here well uh, Matthew very kindly put two stories side by side. The first story, as we saw, is a story about little children. The other one is about a rich young man. And there's a reason why Matthew is putting these two stories together in this part of Matthew's Gospel. As he's trying to to, uh, reshape our perspective on God's kingdom, there's a reason why he's doing this. So let's have a think about uh, this together. I think there are two very, to me, I don't know about whether it comes to you like this as well, but but to me, it comes across a kind of almost shocking thing uh, that that Jesus says uh, in this part of the Bible. Have a look at verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I find that shocking. I mean, I know... um, I've read this so many times, and uh, whenever I come to this part of the Bible, I know exactly what is coming. But whenever I read these words, it shocks me still, all the time. The kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, belongs to such as these. And there are little children standing there, and Jesus is pointing to them. They are vulnerable. They're insignificant. I mean, children are pretty cute, some of them. Not all of them. Um, They can be pretty cute. But they can be horrible too. Um, You know, it's true. They they poop. They cry. They throw tantrum. Um, I'm looking forward to having my grandchildren. Um, But... They say the grandchildren are the ones that you love when they come and you love even more when they leave. Um, well, little children. This is not the first time that Jesus spoke about little children. Now You'll notice um, uh, is several chapters ago, Jesus already spoke about little children. So what is the point that Jesus is making here? Well, The little children, I think, they're not necessarily innocent because no-one needs to teach them to lie and they just know automatically how to lie. I think they are selfish. I mean, what else can you expect from little children? Um, They can't think about other people. That's what it means to be a child. It's all about them. But one thing that is clear and certain about little children is that they feel utterly vulnerable. You know, uh, when a child walks into a room full of adults and they have to look up and everyone's talking about things that they have no idea what is going on, what they uh, understand anything about what is going on, it is a terrible feeling uh, to be part of a company of adults. Um, and the kingdom of God is a little bit like that. Unless you realise how vulnerable you are, unless you realise how insignificant you are, you will not be able to go into the kingdom of God. I find it extremely. Sometimes I find it a little bit um, bit offensive. Don't you think? It goes against the grain of everything that our society values. You know, we educate our children, we we want to um, uh, enable our children to grow up making most of their life. We want our children to become someone, something. We speak so much about self-esteem. We we, we think so much about finding meaning and purpose in life and and making something of your, your, your life in order to contribute to the society and... And we, want, we rejoice when our children become successful in, in something that they do. But it's not just the children, isn't it? That's the kind of life that we aspire for ourselves. We, we want to be somebody. We don't want to be just someone who wastes our life and, and, and become unnoticeable. Um, in my sinfulness, uh, as I was doing my uh, going through my dad's funeral, I thought about gee, I wonder what my funeral's going to be like. Who's going to turn up? Is it going to be like me and my wife and my children and that's it? How lonely and, and, and sad will that be? Uh, will there be people moaning and, and, and being sad because I no longer exist? And then you start thinking about, well, maybe I need to spend more time now winning friends and, um, you know, like uh, become more important in their their personal life. Maybe they'll come to my my funeral after that. We all think about these things, don't we? And Jesus says, friends, understand this. The kingdom of God belongs to people like these little children. Bang! It's sort of um, head-on collision to how I normally think about my life here in this world. The second story uh, is no different. Now, it, uh, obviously, um, Matthew spends a lot more time um, on this story, so we need to uh, 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 devote uh, some p- p- part of our uh, time this morning looking at this past passage in detail. Sylvia has already um, uh, told us the story, so there's no, uh, uh, and, and we've already read the passage, so I'm not going to go through the, the passage in detail. But I just want to point, uh, point out a couple of things. What I find shocking in this part is verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I know what you're thinking. and said, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. Um, well, it's all relative, though, isn't it? Um, have you heard st- statistics like the poorest person in Australia is richer than the 90% of the world population? Or something like that. Have you heard of that? You know, but we, we are so well off um, that the, the, the poorest person in our society will be far better off than people living in any other parts of the world. I think that's true. And so, although we might say, relative speaking, I'm not as rich as James Packer, the reality is that we are richer than the 90% of the world's population. And Jesus says, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I find that really shocking. And it is no wonder... Therefore, in verse 25, when the disciples heard this they were greatly astonished. They said, well, who then can be saved? Well, let's look at this this man. Let's see uh, what Jesus is doing with this man. Uh, What Jesus says to this man uh, in the earlier part of uh, the passage in verse 17 is a little bit enigmatic, don't you think? Jesus, uh, this man came and asked the question, Teacher, what good things must I do to, to get eternal life? And I wish Jesus just gave a straight answer. Uh, I wish Jesus just, just skipped all this, this, this part and said, why don't you go and sell everything and follow me? Instead, he says, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. It, it seems like he's beating around the bush a little bit. Why why does he do this? Well, obviously what Jesus is doing is very very intentional. I think what he wants to say to him is clearly what he says in verse 21. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. This, this is the crux of the matter. This is the point that Jesus wants to make. But in order to say this, Jesus is kind of setting a platform, laying a foundation for this full impact to, uh, to come to him. Now, when Jesus says, keep the commandments, Uh, So if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. What is he saying here? Well, in the Old Testament, God said to the people of Israel, you now have a choice. You know, when you go into the, the, the promised land and I'm giving you all these rules and regulations, these commandments, if you keep them, you will enjoy perfect life. In the land that I, I, I give you, and he wasn't kidding. He wasn't. Um, uh, he, 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 he wasn't speaking hypothetical kind of uh, things. Uh, the way to live in God's kingdom was to listen to God and do His commandments. But as they do so, what would they realize? They would realize. Keeping commandments is actually, although it is a very, very good thing to do, it would be a very difficult thing to, to obey consistently. And so the law was designed to lead people to understand their failures, for them to understand that they need more than the law to, to, to inherit God's life. And so the law, if you're a law-abiding um, uh, a faithful Israel person, then you would naturally come to understand that you need a saviour. So Jesus obviously says, keep the commandments if you want to have a life. He's actually explaining to people of Israel, well, if you do this, then you will actually come and see that I'm the one who has come to save you from your failures, Now, this man responds by saying, which ones? And notice how Jesus replies. He says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and your mother, and the love your neighbour as yourself. What do you notice about this? He lists commandment 6, 7, 8, 9, and then he comes back to 5, honour your mother and father, and then he mentions something that is not part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, love your neighbour as yourself. It's from Leviticus. What's he saying here? Well, there are two things that that, that is pretty clear. One, these things, in some measure, can be achieved. Yes, um, I, I, I do not steal. Yes, I do not commit adultery. Yes, I do not bear false witness to people, yes, I do what I what I can to honour my father and my, my, my mother. And you might say, yes, I I can comply with these things to a certain degree. And we are all like that, aren't we? Um, we we can be pretty moral, pretty ethical. I mean, we we are decent, law-abiding citizens. And as far as I can see here, we there are no. Uh, tax cheats here, no no one who is committing adultery and immoral, sexually immoral life here, hello. Um, But Jesus is saying, well, that's not enough, is it? Because the person who understands the law would understand, first and foremost, You would love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with everything that you've got. Jesus deliberately leaves out the first part um, of what the, the Old Testament law is about. Because he understood what was going on inside this man's heart. Did he really, truly love God with all his heart, mind and soul? Or was there something else? that was more important to him. And, you know, the rest of the story is pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus exposes what truly lies in the heart of this man. Money. All the great possessions that he had was far more important than God. I mean, we can, you know... Do all the external good things and pretend to be a good person. I can do that. You can do that. But what goes in our hearts, in our thinking, it's pretty difficult to be detected at times. But Jesus goes straight to the point and he is exposing this man's true self. I think Jesus says, "Go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven." And people say, "Well, uh, yes, Jesus actually um, says uh, living in a kind of a lower living standard is, is a good thing. Um, maybe we need to become um, uh, a kind of a uh, aesthetic sort of person, not not enjoying you know the good life, but uh, we we deliberately live poor. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about." And so, you know, like um, uh, one. Catholic tradition, Francescans, they, they said, well, poverty is actually the greatest virtue in, in, in Christian life. And Jesus said, that is nonsense. Because people who live in poverty are just as greedy as everybody else when it comes to money. You don't suddenly become stop uh, becoming greedy because you just have no money. If you become poor, you probably become even more greedy, even more envious, even more... Uh, Obsessed about possession. So that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he wants to say is this. Then come, follow me. Put everything else behind. Are you able to put me as number one in your life? Love the Lord Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul? Well, I am claiming to be that one. You come and follow me. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is pretty silly. It's, it's offensive. It's stupid. What good is there to, to gain in life by following Jesus, giving up everything in this life? And Jesus says, well, you see, this is why it is impossible. It is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Um, in chapter thirteen, Matthew chapter thirteen, Jesus spoke about the parable of sower. Uh, you remember, or the, the part some seed fell on the, the rocky path, and etc. etc. Et uh, and some have fell on the, the, the thorn bush. And Jesus says, "Well, things will grow in your life. The hardship will come, worries about life, and the deceitfulness of money will choke the word out of your life." It's true, isn't it, The deceitfulness of money is a, one of the greatest enemies of our Christian life because we think money will give us satisfaction and happiness and, and measure of success. And so we all aspire to work hard, to, to earn as much as we can, and somehow being a rich person in this world will give us status and, and meaning and and. and A successful life, but the truth of the matter is, the more you become rich, the less likely it is for you to understand how vulnerable you are. Remember the little child story? Why is it the little children, or people like little children, to them the the kingdom of heaven belongs? Because they understand their vulnerability how they need someone's help. And unless you understand this, you will not enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says. And so uh, the, the conclusion of the matter in verse 27 to, to 30 um, uh, is really, really hard-hitting for us. Notice what he says in in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the many who are last will be first. The idea of first, I think, um, uh, is something like the many who are significant, many who are highly regarded, many who are deemed to be important in this world, well, they will be brought low in God's kingdom. That's how it works. But many who are last, that is, the people who are regarded insignificant, people who, who understand their vulnerability, people who are weak, well, they will be highly regarded in God's kingdom. Is that you? Do you realise that you are in desperate need of God's help? Do you understand that you are in desperate need of God's forgiveness? for our failure to love him with all our heart, with soul and strength and mind. Uh, encountering Jesus is pretty scary stuff because he understands human heart. He doesn't muck around. He goes straight to the point. He lays it bare um, what really goes in our heart. But it's an opportunity for us to, to engage uh, with him and... Uh, Turn to him in faith and repentance. I hope and pray this morning as we um, think about um, how we live our life, we remember uh, the words of Jesus, that the people who follow him, people who put his, their, their trust uh, in the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and they do it because they understand that they need Jesus Forgiveness for them, they will be the ones who will be highly regarded in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that our Lord Jesus speaks and thinks and acts in a totally different way to how this world does. Father, we pray that uh, we would be so spiritually alert um, by reading your word that we might not get sucked into this world's way of thinking. Father, we admit um, that at times we become greedy and money becomes an idol in our heart. Father, we are constantly bombarded by this world that making our life uh, important uh, is uh, one of the most important things in this world. But help us, Father, to realise that the people who bring themselves to low, uh, acknowledging their failures and and their sinfulness, are the ones who will actually enjoy God's Uh, eternal blessings. So we pray, Father, that by the power of your spirit we might continue coming to him, asking for your forgiveness, admitting our guilt, but finding comfort and forgiveness in the resurrection and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And we ask and pray this for his name's sake. Amen.